Greetings, everyone. Welcome to episode number 40 of the Avocado Gamescast, a perfectly normal video game podcast from an alternate timeline. We have two topics on the agenda for today. First up, we discuss why large gatherings of gamers jeopardize our well-being and threaten our very social fabric. Second, we explain why exploiting your workers and making them work 100 hours a week is not only necessary, but should also be enshrined in law. But before we get to that, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Merv, Chief of Staff to President Randy Pitchford. And joining me, we have Chairman of the Federal Premium Currency Reserve, Mr. Glitch. Hello. And Secretary of Bullshots, the Kappa. Good evening. How are you folks doing today? Not pretty good. I'm not going to give up that thing, though. <laughs> yeah, Go okay. Good, man. It's not... I've got I've to get one blur out. <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's Halloween and I'm Dracula. Blur. Yeah, I mean, Blah. people will probably be listening to this like after Halloween, but post-Halloween is still spooky times, you know? Yeah. So Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah. You get till mid-November, I guess, for that. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, Halloween kind of lasts from, I'd say, around September 23rd to around November 18th. That's like yeah, that sounds good to me. Um, and then after that, it's like American Thanksgiving, although the actual Thanksgiving, you know, Canadian Thanksgiving already happened. So, you know, I'm surprised I couldn't get any protests to that. Like nobody's nobody's angry at me for saying Canadian Thanksgiving. I'm not even sure Canadian Thanksgiving is a real thing, honestly. So I don't know if I should be angry or not. <laughs> It is a real thing. I mean, we celebrate we when you guys celebrate. I mean, can we have a unified Thanksgiving? Uh, like like all of North America, more or less. Yeah. Right? yeah. I mean, well, see, see, the thing is, you guys celebrate, I guess, Columbus Day or Indigenous Peoples Day, depending on how, I guess, woke your city is. On, <laughs> uh, when we celebrate American uh, Canadian Thanksgiving, so those uh. those just happen on the same day for whatever reason. Um, and I'm used to getting that day off, and I moved to the states. And now they're just like, yeah, you're going to come to work and honor this explorer dude who killed a lot of people. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, so Yeah, welcome. Good, good to have you here. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've been here for like seven years. I've, I'm, I'm like practically American now. I, I eat apple pie. Yeah, apple pie sucks. Sorry. <laughs> oh, wow. That is, that is harsh. Um, it's true. Cherry, at least. Cher- okay, you like a good southern, a good southern cherry yeah. pie. Got Honestly, it. a good southern cherry pie is a, is, is pretty damn amazing. I, I mean, apple pie is fine. There's there's nothing wrong with it, but holy shit, cherry pie. Mm. I, I was expecting like, like a, like a huge like exaltation of cherry pie. Like holy shit, cherry <laughs> pie. I'm not going to the bat for any pies. Pies are just... Well, I mean, I'm not warrant. I can't really do it. <laughs> pies are backup for when you can't make a cake. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I know. Pe- <laughs> this is this is going to be our most controversial episode. Um, okay, the so... Pie conundrum. Pies are great and cakes are great, but what video games have you guys been playing? Uh, do you want me to start? Yeah, sure. Tell us all about, I guess, oh, Astrid. Yeah, I mean, I don't know which one to talk about more, Forsaken or Assassin's Creed. I guess, I feel like I've talked a lot about Assassin's Creed. 
I kind of wanted to save that one for the next one, honestly, because I want to get a little bit further into it. So I want to talk about Forsaken. All right. And I haven't heard of re- Forsaken. The Rebirth of the old... Destiny. The Destiny you... expansion, Forsaken. Oh, okay. Nice. Oh, I, was, nice. I, I was thinking about the old Nintendo 64 game. No, no, Forsaken. no. So you guys know Big Destiny. Future fan, is blah, Forsaken. Blah, blah, blah. For for a long time though, I've always said, "Oh yeah, you know, Destiny's fun. It's got this. It's got that." But the story sucks. But <coughs> guess what? The story doesn't suck anymore. It's awesome. actually really good. Um, cool. I I'm in love with the where the story's been going in the past couple of weeks. Um, and what they've done is kind of smart. So there's the base game, which is kind of like a old Western revenge type story. You're getting revenge for the murder of Cade Six, who was up until now kind of the funniest, lightheartedest guardian vanguard uh voiced by nathan fillion so he's murdered um and you have to avenge him however you slowly unravel like layers upon layers upon layers about who's really behind his murder um in a really cool way and and it feels kind of organic and then you kind of get a big bombshell dropped on you right at the end of where you think the story should end we've avenged him should be you know roll credits Typical Destiny expansion, crappy story. Uh, not this time. Um, this time we kind of find out that it wasn't necessarily the person we thought was behind it. It was a person behind that. And then there's even a person behind that. So you kind of peel these layers of betrayal back. Um, and it ends with you more or less having to fight a giant space dragon and that grants wishes. Um, oh, nice. That's kind of like the de- – so like in a, in a universe where everybody's more or less immortal – um, this thing is like the equivalent of like a nuke. You know what I mean? Like this is like the the most powerful thing in the world. Um, the story goes lots and lots of places, but where it ends up right now is you've basically created uh, this murder battery is like what people are calling it. So there's there's a, the bad guys are fueled by murder and they create this time loop where it's just never ending them killing you, you killing them trapped inside this city of of death. Um, and every three weeks in real game time, it resets. So like it slowly gets worse and worse and worse. Then it resets. Then you're right back to where you were, um, which is a cool idea for a, a video game because you're doing the same stuff over and over again, right? Yeah. And video games have always had that problem. Well, why am I killing this? Why am I killing Diablo for the five million time in Diablo, right? And the way this game solves it now is it creates this murder battery where you're fueling the ultimate evil in the universe by killing his minions over and over again. Um, and the more you kill, the more powerful he ends up getting. Um, I so I thought this, that was kind of it. Yeah, I find this approach really interesting because like, when they started these, these whole like live games, games of service things, like the first Destiny, I think they're still using sort of the, the old approach to video game storytelling where it's just like, here's a story and that's it. And then here's like the sequel or a side story. But now they're actually like adapting their storytelling to the actual medium right and 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 that is a big step forward because it's like well why am i doing this again why am i you know um so i'm really surprised and there's there's a whole there's like zones on top of zones that you unlock the further you play um so it's like you you save well you you get revenge for Cade, but then you unlock another area. And like, I wasn't even expecting this area. And then after the third week, when what they call the curse gets the strongest, there's another area that's only available for that one week. That's basically this corrupted, uh, you know what it looks like? It looks like the upside down from stranger things. So like you go into that realm and have to fight your way 
uh, all the way through a, a throne to basically more or less push the the magical reset button. And as long as that reset button is hit every third week, you go right back to where you were the, the previous third weeks, which is, you know, everything's bad, but it's not that bad. And then it slowly the curse grows in power as the weeks progress. So every third week you have to go in there and hit that magical reset button or, you know, it'll never not happen because of, of the nature of the game. You know, people are always going to do it because that's where you get powerful loot and stuff like that. But it basically creates this whole feeling that if somebody's not in there, it's like the lost numbers, right? Somebody has to keep typing in the numbers or nobody really knows what's going to happen. Um, but the lore guys have really been doing an excellent job digging into this and figuring out what's going on. Uh, and it's kind of priming the pump for destiny three, which I'm guessing is probably about a year out. Um, where so we're think probably going to be like cross gen, you think? No, I think it's going to be uh, like yeah, this well, gen's last hurrah, maybe. Possibly, yeah. But I, I have a big feeling that it's going to be a lot more RPG <laughs> than shooter. Well, I mean, it's not going to be all the way RPG, but I think what they're setting up is going to be kind of interesting because I think they're going to actually have factions darkness versus light, um, which would be something totally new for Destiny, but would create a lot more reasons about why guardians are killing each other in a crucible while guardians, you know what I mean? Like there would be a lot more of a war feeling going on, um, than just what it's currently got. So yeah, the PVP, um, my understanding is not super well integrated into the war. No, it's not. It's just like, yeah, we go here to, to get stronger. Okay. Go kill each other. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah I mean, I think it's, it's definitely been what I've been playing the most. Um, but Assassin's Creed, I think is probably a stronger game. If, if you were just looking to p- pick up and start something new, but if you've been sticking with Destiny for as long as I have, the fact that right now we're really getting like just story after story after story, uh, it feels really new and refreshing because for a long time that was the biggest weakness. Like I'm pretty sure I've always told you guys like I love the game, but the story's garbage. But now I'm like, wow, they finally pulled it together. You know, it took two and a half years, but it's actually got something resembling an you know a coherent story. Yeah. Um, so it was one of the things that struck me when I I played through through the demo, and mm-hmm. I was like, well, there's a lot of really cool stuff here but plot wise oh my god what the hell is this yeah and it it throws a lot at you where it's like everything's like this capitalized noun you know the the light the speaker the traveler the you know and it never really put it together before um but now it's starting to say you know what maybe it's not a good idea that this thing came into our galaxy more or less made us immortal but also brought with it all the shit that it did and we have to sit here and kill it again and again and again and again um, you know, and a lot of the Guardians narratives now, like, you know, in the in-game, it's just like, I'm tired. Like, like you know, it used to be like, I'm, a, I'm an immortal badass, I can do whatever I want. But now you're starting to see a lot more like, I'm just tired of fighting this fight. I'm tired of, you know, you know, being revived every six days, you know, or, you know, every six minutes, depending on the battle. Um, you know, and it's, it, it's kind of leaning into like the psychological break that a lot of these characters have, yeah. which is, I mean, if you're an immortal fighting machine that is you know brought back to life every you know however so often at first it'd be kind of cool but now it's kind of like okay i'm done with this you know go go fix your own problems traveler um so yeah that's there's a lot going on there i really like where the story's going um it's i've been pretty much sharing time between that and assassin's creed origins uh, or i'm sorry odyssey right now but I want to get a little bit further in Odyssey before I really, really give a take on it. And I feel like that might be a good fit for next week, too. So. All right. So, yeah, next time we'll, we'll chat a bit about Ask Creed because I think it'll, it'll tie, <laughs> tie in well with the themes we're, we're going to discuss. 
uh, namely asses. Um, Glitch, what have you been playing? Uh, well, I've been playing the um, latest uh, Mario Party game, Super Mario Party for Switch. <laughs> um, there are aspects of it that I like quite a bit. Um, there's uh, uh, there is a kind of a kind of a neat throwback to the old uh, Nintendo 64 uh, originals, where basically the whole premise of the game is that uh, all of Mario his uh, buddies, you know, Mario and his buddies kind of get into a pissing contest about who's most awesome. <laughs> uh, and the entire game is built around the idea of gathering, you know, whatever status symbols equals, you know, the most awesome in the Mushroom Kingdom, which is, uh, it, it's a cute uh, uh, nod to the old uh, uh, Mario Party series. Um the uh, the game itself uh, kind of embraces the older Mario Party games in that it's more of a uh, individual um, uh, board game style than some of the more recent uh, Mario Party titles. Oh, I didn't um, know they like, they departed from the board game aesthetic. Yeah, the the particularly the last couple of games, I believe the Wii U version, in particular Mario Party Ten, uh, basically piles all of your characters into a car and you're um, your goal basically is to dodge Bowser in that one, which it's, I mean, it's a nice take. It's not a bad game. Um, but this new Mario party, super Mario party, I suppose for switch or whatever its title is, um, is much more of an embrace of the old style of, um, you know, it's basically sorry, uh, in, uh, you know, Mario party video game form. Which, yeah, I appreciate based on my, like my very limited, experience with Mario Party. Um, all I remember is that it, it really destroyed N64 thumbsticks. <laughs> <laughs> it did that. Some of that is definitely still in this version. My big problem with it so far is that Nintendo is still trying to make motion controls a thing. That was 100% my big problem with it, too, when I played it for a couple hours. Um right. The controls are really inconsistent. One of the cool things it does do is it lets you warm up and practice what you're going to be doing until right. everybody readies up, right? Right. So like that was, basically... I mean, that, that's that's technically that's been a staple of Mario Party games for a long time since at least the GameCube versions. But you had to actually okay. drop into a practice mode version of the game. The nice, the the, the nice feature of uh, this particular version of Mario Party is that the practice mode, you know. Um, is something that just it it the game loads by default, and then you can dork around it until everybody is ready. You know, is is ready to actually play. Um, uh, a practice mode has been a feature of Mario Party games for a long time, but you actually dropped into that and had to wait for the you know for the entire game to load, uh, and then complete the practice mode, and then drop out of that back into the menu screen, and then you know into the, I guess the. Um, uh, non-practice, the you know, the the, the ver- you know the the mode of that game that's for keeps or whatever. Okay, um, yeah. So this seems like a, a better setup to sort of get newer players acquainted with with the mini games. It's, it's definitely it's a smarter setup. It's a quicker setup. I like it a lot. Um, yeah, I would say that a Mario Party game kind of lives or dies on its mini games, and there's almost an even split of mini games that rely on just conventional controls and motion controls. And 
Excuse me. The games that rely on motion controls, they're they're really really hit or miss. Um, the motion control, you know, the motion detection, the motion discernment itself is is spotty. There, That's there are been my experience with with Joy Cons as well. Yeah, uh, motion control and, and the game, like and the, the the game forces you to use a Joy Con. You don't have a choice in the matter. Um, even if you're using the 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 Switch, you know, as a standalone like portable console, you so, can't play it. With the Joy-Cons attached, you have to play it with a detached Joy-Con. So here's the thing. I I actually really like the Joy-Con controllers. They're surprisingly ergonomic for what they are. And like I like one thing I, I, I did a lot of while I was playing, you know, like Super Mario Odyssey or like Mario Rabbids is I'd like hop on my exercise bike, take a Joy-Con in each hand, and I'd be able to play video games while biking. And that like it's <laughs> perfect for that. Um but the motion control detection has always been really spotty. So anytime I needed to like um, do the motion control moves in, in Super Mario Odyssey, they'd work maybe three quarters of the time, and that's just not good enough for yeah. um, for a video game. Like you need ninety five percent accuracy if right. you're going to yeah, rely on motion controls. I was I remember there was one particular one where like you had to basically flip over a cube of meat to cook. Uh-huh evenly on either side and so you had to like kind of flip this thing over um and i'll tell you it was really frustrating because i was able to do it like really quickly and my wife was just having it flip over and over and over and over again um but i tried i tried to do on her controller because she was just like i can't do this and like for some reason i don't know if it was something like a sensitivity thing or whatever but whenever i tried on her controller it would just flip right out of the pan and I didn't feel like I was doing anything different with hers than mine, but like that one especially, it just struck me as like because it was all motion control. It stood it stood out for um, <laughs> being really, really I don't know, I don't know how to describe it, like way too miss for me. Right. Um, um, there's a there's another mini game that actually you know now that you mention it, there's another mini game where you're you're playing as a um, uh, uh, I guess a baton twirler. Uh, <laughs> Where you, the, the 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 entire premise of the mini game is that you have to raise and lower a baton in 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 sequence with the you know with the music the beat of the music that's playing in the game, um, and <laughs> if you actually mimic the motion on the screen, you miss like probably eighty percent of the uh, uh, um, of the uh, of the notes you're supposed to hit, right. Uh, but if you, if, well, what I found, at least last night, what I was playing with is, uh, if you just do like the, if you, if you just mimic, you know, a jerk off motion <laughs> for lack of a better <laughs> description there, um, that's incredible in time with the music, uh, you'll, you'll fucking nail it, which is great, but I mean, fucking it, is right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, if you jerk off the Joy-Con controllers and you're, you're playing the Mario party, you'll, you're, you're set. But I don't think that's what they were going for, you know. <laughs> I, I love, I love, like uh, Nintendo's ab- ability to just make things sound sexual by accident. <laughs> like Nintendo Wii. Okay, maybe that's not really sexual. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm not judging. <laughs> yeah, no judgment. Yeah, no Get- king shaming here. No kink shaming on, on the games cast. Um, all right, as, as for what I've been playing, I haven't been playing too many video games lately. 
Um, what I've been doing sort of every night before going to bed is I've been getting in a few rounds of Mario Tennis Aces. And I, um, I haven't been playing online because I, I didn't even buy the Nintendo Switch subscription service. I've just been playing against the computer. And when it comes to these sorts of games that are you know very repetitive, you kind of start making challenges for yourself. So my new challenge is is to win every match by knockout instead of by regular point victory. Um, just to explain what that means in Mario Tennis Aces, um, if you hit, if you return certain special shots improperly, then your racket loses health, and if you lose all the health on your rackets, then your rackets break and you die. So. What I've been trying to do is fire special shots at the computer so that the rackets break and they die and I win my knockout, uh, which is a lot uh, a lot easier said than done because I've also been playing in doubles mode and the doubles AI for the computer is really, really dumb. <laughs> yeah, so they'll do things like unnecessarily... Um, waste the energy you, you use to build up your special meter so you can hit special shots. They'll waste it doing trick shots completely pointlessly. Um, sometimes they'll just randomly get in your way when you're trying to hit a shot and then you'll hit the back of their head instead of yeah. hitting it over the net. Um, <clears throat> they'll steal your shots from you when, you're, when you've set up um, a nice shot. They'll just like get in your way and, and take the shot for you. They're really bad at positioning on the court. So if you're covering one side, they'll run over to your side of the court to hit the shot and leave the other side of the court totally exposed. So the AI is really stupid and you kind of have to work around it and work around the fact that it's gnawing at your special meter and wasting all your energy um, in order to win by KO. So it's a, it's kind of a frustrating challenge, but I, I enjoy it whenever it works out because when you break... Uh, an opponent's racket, you they go like f sliding across the court, and it looks like they're in pain, and it's really funny. <laughs> so yeah, that's my experience with Mario Tennis Aces. Um, moving on, one thing we want to talk about, as we alluded to in the intro, is gaming conventions. And Tappa, you went to PAX this year, correct? I did. Uh, it's it's been a little bit of a of a break for me in going there. Um, but yeah, I finally, finally made it back to the West coast to go back to PAX prime, um, for the first time, probably four years. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, it was, it was good to go back, but yeah, I definitely remembered some of the pros and cons as soon as I walked in. So what are the pros and cons of, well, cons? Oh man. Well, <laughs> where to start? Um, I mean, here's the thing. I think most people who have been to a, a convention can tell you that there's this weird curve of popularity. Right. So I probably first started going to PAX, man, probably like 2006, 2007, something like that. When that it was, was around just, when it started up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was like um, it was when it was its first year in the um, in the ANX is the, the first year um, that I went there. Um, I mean, you know, it wasn't. Yeah, 2006 was probably the first big year. So 2004 was um, the smaller <laughs> year. And then no, 2007, <laughs> that was the first year that I went there. 
um, Washington State Convention Center was the first first year I went there, and that was that was pretty big. But I mean, we're still talking forty thousand people. Um, I, and then I'm reading that this most recent one, um, you know, has you know triple that. I mean, you know, it's eighty thousand plus, you know, something like that, um, which is like you a, can feel like a it. small city. Yeah, you can feel it, though. I mean, as soon as you get in there, you can feel the difference between how it used to be and how it is now. Um, And they try to spread people out. and They do a pretty good job of kind of having all these different buildings and these different functions and stuff off-site, on-site, stuff like that. But there's no way around that it's a big convention, and the lines lines show it. Um, This year, one of my personal frustrations, I mean, I guess it depends who you are, but there was a lot of what they call line capping. So in other words, once a line is going to take, you know, two hours to get through to a demo station, they'll put somebody at the back of the line with a sign that says lines cap. That means you can't get into that line. They will not allow you to get into that line. You have to come back and try to find out when the guy is no longer capping the line to let you go stand in line. So in effect, what happens is now you get lines to stand in lines. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so like, like they gather sort of outside the lineup area. Right. One of the biggest uh, examples of this was the Nintendo booth. Nintendo's booth was awful. I, I, I feel like if you go around and look on the internet and look up PAX and Nintendo booth, it, it'll be pretty roundly you know, pilloried for what they did. But they were capping the line at about 10 minutes. Um, so in other words, they didn't want anybody waiting in line. So what would happen is you just get groups of people kind of walking these laps waiting for because they didn't want you standing there and they didn't want you waiting in line. But people still wanted to play. Right. Yeah. Now, that sounds you, like a, a bad arrangement. Yeah. Like you'd, want, now, you'd want at least like, you know, a half hour kind of queue. Right. But it was it was really frustrating because, I mean, it, like the line wasn't long. It was just literally getting into the line was what took a long time. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it was the weirdest thing going on. Um, but then contrast that to what Sony did with their VR stuff. Their VR booths were, you know, only one person at a time. They had kind of a long demo. What you had to do is go sign in on this mystical Sony app in order to get a playtime. However, I don't know if you guys have ever been to any kind of convention. Um, you can barely get signal in like places like this because literally everybody is, you know what I mean? At yeah, least, like the Wi-Fi you know, gets overloaded. Exactly. So, I mean, the, so the PlayStation app was pretty much useless. You, I had to do it the next day at my hotel in order to get in line to go play Tetris VR. Um <laughs> And everything was basically like as soon as the pl- the PlayStation app went up at 9 a.m., it was booked for the entire day by like 9:03 a.m. <laughs> you know I mean, so like you had to get in there. Um, Ubisoft did something interesting where they had like kind of like almost like a check-in desk, like at a hotel. You would go in, um, you would sign up, you would write your name down, you would give them an email address, and then they would say, "Okay, what time frames are you looking, and what are you looking to play?" Um, so like you could play the division two at 11 AM and then come back and play Odyssey at 1 PM or, you know, like you could basically create your own schedule, um, which, which was a nice way to do it. I thought same thing went in there though, that you basically had to like go straight to the Ubisoft booth and get in line and tell them your playtime so that you could get in. However, what would always happen is they had pretty good sized play booths. If somebody didn't show up for their schedule time, they had a standby line that was to me, the best solution that I saw at the whole show for dealing with this kind of, you know, back and forth. Um, It seems like going analog is best when you have like shitty Wi-Fi. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I there was a lot. I mean, so just the convention experience is. I mean, it's a lot of line standing. It's a lot of like judging boots for how they're set up, what they do, what they don't do, what they give away, what they don't give away. Um, by far, the best booth of the show was Bless Unleashed. Um, Bless is, is Bless is a failed MMO, and like the developers who you played with were not at all. Um, you know bashful with saying that it, it, it failed at release um, i've never so, even heard of it so yeah. that's why i'm assuming it's failed what they're basically doing is really re-releasing it instead of an mmo it's kind of like an action game um and i was able to play it and they had like so what you would do is they probably had like 20 booths which was nice so you'd walk up you'd play the demo which was perfectly timed about five minutes right um and then what you'd get is there was a random piece of swag you would get for playing that whether it was a shirt whether it was um stickers pins uh they had like a, a weird like fox hoodie like it was like fox ears you know so oh, nice. but the idea being keep people coming right keep people playing keep people in the booths trying to get those different things but when you've got 20 demo stations in the demos five minutes it kept moving nicely do you know what i mean yeah. so i was able to actually play all three classes play the game three times got what i wanted from the swag but it didn't feel like it took anywhere near as long for example to play as like nintendo who had a 30 minute demo in a 10 minute line you know it's so i really think that this is going to be something that i i would hope that that companies start to look into like things like demo length do matter um i, I particularly remember like spider-man spider-man was coming out basically like the next week right yeah so i wasn't particularly into waiting in line to play spider-man it's just, you know what i mean like if i wanted to play it I, i'd play it but um but they kind of like had like a really long demo and people would just sit there and play and play and play. And it's hard when you don't have that kind of, you know, hard stop in a demo, um, you know, whether it's time, whether it's you get to this boss, stuff like that. Um, so it really lets those drag on. I'm guessing the reason they do this is because they want to, it's probably the same demo they're using for press and they don't want yes. to give super short demos to press. And they also don't want to have a discrepancy in the demo between the press demo and, and the show floor demo because then regular conference attendees will, will get angry and say, why didn't we can, get the same treatment? You can see that in a lot of the games. Like on the game itself, it'll say like in the bottom corner, it'll say like E3 2018 build, Gamescom build. Uh, some set would say PAX build. Some would say Tokyo game. You know, like they all had yeah. what build you were playing. but. The idea behind it being that, like, every company kind of goes into into there, and I feel like they have they have an idea of what they want to hype, right? Yeah. What do we want to hype? And so, like, Spider-Man was, we want to hype the open-world experience. We want to just let you jump in and do whatever, right? Whereas Bungie was there with Destiny, and they're like, we're just, we just want you to play our new game mode that's coming with Forsaken Sick called Gambit. So you would play Gambit, you know, a five a 4v4 match, uh, five or six-minute long matches, you know, and then you'd be out of their booth. But the thing is, is, like when you've got a lot of these more open world games coming out constantly, I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I'm talking mostly about big, big companies now, Sony, Microsoft, you know what I mean? Those bigger companies, they kind of want to get you in there, show you what to get hyped about in the game, get you out there and then sell you the game. Right. Yeah, Th that's that's their whole thing. When you go to the indie booths, it's kind of it depends. Right. Indie devs aren't. I don't know how to describe this. It used to be when you would go there back in the day, like indie devs were kind of like, oh, shucks, gee, come on up and play my game. Tell me what you think of it, you know? It doesn't yeah. feel that way so much anymore. I mean, these guys are not, you know, 
you very rarely see the guy in his garage tinkering anymore. Um, it's more like, yeah, you know, we're a studio of former this, former that, you know, and here's our game. Uh, tell us what you think, but make sure to pre-order. And the indie games kind of have a feel more of a lot more polish, a lot more work into it. But the demo stations they still have are like two, two, two computers set up, you know, to play their game. And if you yeah, really want to get into it, they're yeah, probably like finding it out of pocket, so they don't have a right. Lot. So the game has the production value, but the booth itself doesn't, if that makes sense, right? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm thinking uh, specifically of, have you heard of Astroneer? I've heard of it, but I don't know much about it. Well, it's, it was, it's a very, like, hyped kind of, um, a little more science-leading version of No Man's Sky. Um, they had a very cool-looking booth set up, right? Um, my kid was like, I, I got to play this. He's love, he loves astronaut stuff. He loves space stuff. He really wanted to try it. But they only really had like three computers up and running with the demo, you know, and for example, like one opened up, but it was keyboard and mouse. And he's really not where he should be with keyboard and mouse. So we had to wait for a controller one and stuff. You know, the guys are very nice. It's very. But like when you've got a game like that, that has a hype level to it, that maybe in the past only bigger games would have gotten. But you don't have the demo space. It's got to be frustrating for them. Right. Because. I'm sure there's the, the, the pressure of, hey, let's kick these guys off who are just here to play the game and get the sticker or whatever, the badge or the pin or whatever. And let's get some more people in who might actually buy the game. But at the same time, you don't want to treat your audience like that, right? So there's this constant ebb and flow. I don't know if you guys heard about this. This was kind of like a famous thing that happened this PAX. Some guy got kicked off of a demo um, for uh, a press to play, which is a pretty common occurrence at, at a at a game show right like so but what, what, what's press to play exactly oh oh i'm sorry press like game press okay uh, so oh, like okay, so yeah. i was demoing the game and they were like hey you gotta go um basically uh you know this this um press person wants to wants to play the game um and that was kind of a weird thing at pax That's just because, like bad pr right and and PAX kind of was one of those places where it was like, like kind of the mantra was like, it doesn't matter if you're press. It doesn't matter if you're, um, you know, it, it this is the one for all of us, right? This yeah. is the game convention for all of us. Kind of, however, <laughs> it's it's not so much that anymore. I mean, honestly, it's just not. Um, it's kind of a, a regular old game um, thing, you know, like any other one. So do you, I don't... Um, do, you, do you know kind of just roughly what the the i guess the uh, ratio of like you know press correspondence to just average gamers are in some yeah, like so that's a really good question because i feel like for example if i said hey we've got a podcast we probably could have got press badges which hmm. maybe not the best thing right because it used to be press badges were like when i would go to pax like the only people i would see with press badges were like guys carrying around cameras with G4, you know what I mean? Or like tech TV or whatever it was, you know what I mean? But now it's like everybody with a game website, everybody with a podcast is kind of given these press badges and they're given kind of those credentials that I think should really be reserved for like, I don't know. So badges that packs are something I do want to get into. It's uh, this might be a packs only thing, but I have a suspicion. It's like this a little bit everywhere, right? E3 everywhere else, right? You get the regular Joe Schmo badge. You get in there, you go do whatever you want, right? So PAX had badges for content creators, so your YouTubers, your whatever. Um, Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, and um, Mixer all had huge booths there, right? And so but those who's streamers— content creating for Facebook? 
yeah, Facebook games. I, it's That's I don't a know. Thing? Yes, like Facebook and, has been like, and th- this sort of came out very recently. That Facebook has just been completely artificially inflating their video numbers yes. and like their content numbers. Um, so like they're obviously not in the same level as, as it, Twitch or Mixer or YouTube, uh, but they've been like, like a would, mismeasuring what, what they claim they're measuring and B what they claim they're measuring is stupid. It was, it was very obvious to when we were there. Um, cause let me set the stage. So you've got, I'm sure you guys have seen conventions before, right? Floor space is a premium, right? Like, you know, Microsoft and Sony, like they've got like huge amounts of floor space, but then everybody else is kind of like fighting for little, you know, scraps of tables here and there type stuff. Yeah. Facebook had probably the fourth biggest area there. And it was this giant lounge, like really soft blue lighting full of water and food and just kind of like lounges and chairs and couches. But you could only go in there if you were a Facebook content creator. So this place is fucking empty empty like every single time i went by there there was nowhere in there right uh twitch had the same thing huge area purple lighting real relaxed um it was just for twitch verified streamers to go in there and hang out right so this kind of place was much more packed (laughs) right but it kind of created it was actually there was nobody at the twitch one either because most of the twitch streamers are out playing the games you know what i mean like it was a really weird experience to see these lounges that were set up for like this, like next tier of people. Right. So remember I was going back to the badges. So like there was your content creator lounge, look at all these Twitch gods, you know, sitting around on their couches, drinking their free soda or whatever. Um, and like, they wouldn't let you live stream from the Twitch area. So like, even like if you got to see one of your favorite streamers, you couldn't stream. So who? it was such a weird experience. Uh, I, you know, I got, I, I like Mixer a lot and they kind of had the thing that made the most sense to me. So what they had was, was a demo station for Fortnite. And if you, um, if you won a victory Royale, you run, you won an Xbox. But what they had in the meantime was just regular streamers, um, shoutcasting you playing, right? So when you got into the oh, top nice. 10, someone would come over and start shoutcasting your Fortnite game. And if you won, they'd hand you an Xbox. That creates like a different kind of buzz than like, look at these gods here relaxing in their lounge, right? So I thought that was a little bit better done um, than some of the other ones. Don't get me wrong. I understand why they have separate badges for content creators. It's just, it's weird to to tier it like that, to create a sort of like class system for a convention. And, And that's what a lot of the complaints were about this year about PAX was you've basically, you've stratified it too much. Um, not to mention that so in the first hour before the show opens um, game developers who have badges that say exhibitor could basically go and play other people's games it's designed to be kind of like a fun thing hey i want to go check out you know but what ended up happening is like everybody and their mom has exhibitor badges i mean it's it's ridiculous who has exhibitor badges so you get into the show like we would wait in like two hours to get in to be towards the front of line and by the time you get in there there's already lines and it's press and exhibitors and i think they give medical professionals like early access because they might get called you know like in case of an emergency or something but you would walk in after waiting two hours in line to find out there's already lines you know and it's all content creators and exhibitors and it's such a weird feeling i mean i don't think there's right answers i don't think there's you know wrong answers and there's probably a lot of give and take but it definitely kind of feels like you know 
what what they were doing this year didn't feel right for to be like the average person who just kind of had to resign themselves to being second, third class citizens the whole time. Yeah, that doesn't seem kind of healthy for for a community uh, focused gaming convention. Like I understand, like it's E three, obviously. Then yeah, press content creators take priority, but PAX is supposed to be like the inverse of that, right? And that's what a lot of people were saying. And, and like I think a lot of the feedback has been, hey, let's get rid of these streaming booths. You know, they don't they don't make sense in the grand scheme of things. Um, let's let's cut down on the number of press. Let's make exhibitors actually be exhibitors and not. Um, you know, the guy who helped, you know, hang up some posters in a room gets an exhibitor badge. Um, the, the enforcers there, I mean, they're general. I was an enforcer one year, I guess, full disclosure. I did it once. So I know how kind of like cool and awful it is. They, they try their best, but I mean, really, they're just, you know, volunteers with a blue T-shirt on. Uh, you can't you can't get mad at them. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that was kind of my if you know talking pros and cons that's kind of like the 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 general gist of it. i think i've talked a lot about a lot of cons but the pros were i mean if you were willing to wait in the lines and, and deal through the stuff you have to play a lot of really cool games and i mean straight up talk to developers not like i, th- I think i told this story maybe you guys once about packs but um i was i was playing do you guys remember there was like an age of empires online that came out not too long ago I don't yeah, remember it. a little bit. It was kind of like a Facebooky style game. It wasn't like Super Age of Empires, but it was like a, it was kind of like cartoony graphics. Everybody hated it, but I was sitting there playing it. I actually kind of enjoyed it. I, I did play the game a fair amount when it came out, and at PAX, I was playing it, um, playing the demo version. I was talking to the guy, and the guy was like, yeah, you know, I didn't, I didn't know how this would take off. There's a lot of ideas about it, but, you know, I remember kind of having these same discussions when we right before we released Age of Empires, and I thought he was talking about, you know, this one. I was like, He's like, no, no, no. I was part of the original Age of Empires development team. You know, I was like the lead whatever guy. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, like, so you get to really have that kind of experience um, where you're yeah, sitting down like there. Beat your heroes, kind of. Yeah, yeah. And, and unfortunately, one time that was Randy Pitchford, but the rest of the time it's been, you know, me. <laughs> <laughs> really I mean, I am cool his chief staff. So. <laughs> I, I told that story here, right? He, he lied to my face about aliens and I, and I bought it and regret it oh, to this goodness. day. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I actually don't think you told that story. Oh, yeah. So one year at PAX, um, this was when Aliens was rolling out. And what they did was they had you play the I'm sorry, are we talking about the, the Colonial Marines? Colonial Marines, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they had, yeah, what they had was they had. Yeah, it was, it was rough. They had you play the developers, right? And um, like, as you were playing, you know, like you could talk to them. And they were like, there was a lot of like, oh, yeah, in the real release, this is what's going to happen. And we played basically, you know, one of those bullshit versions of it where it was like you thought you were playing the whole game, but it was really just like a super nice death match that they set up ex- explicitly for this, you know? And I was asking, you know, and then like Randy Pitchford was standing in line answering questions about the game. I was like, hey, you know, how long is this? Oh, you know, you probably play 40 hours of this, you know, just like answering all these questions. And I was like, well, what about the story? He's like, it's actually signed off. It's actually full canon, aliens, full canon. It's part of the series by, you know, um, by Ridley Scott himself. This is a continuation. And like, and then I played the game. And I'm like, wait, 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 no, it's not. <laughs> it can't be. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys have played it yet, but spoilers, there's some characters that pop up that you're like, wait, isn't this guy supposed to be dead? Yeah. Uh, 
so uh, it was a lot of that kind of stuff, you know, and he had no qualms about just telling a line full of people, whatever BS he felt like saying at the time when we were clearly playing stuff that wasn't in the game at all. Um, so yeah, that yeah. was, that was the PAX experience that one year for me, but I mean, video game conventions in general, I think, I think they're interesting. I don't know, micro or macro, depending on how you look at it uh, of gamer culture in general. Um, you, you get a lot of people in there who, you know, represent the, the, I don't take a shower and I'm here with my anime body pillow to just play, you know what I mean? To, <laughs> to, to stand in line for this one game and play it over and over and over again. Cause that's my game. Right. And then you've got a lot of other people who are just there to just, I'm just here to play the triple a titles. I don't care what's going on or whatever, or I'm just here to see my favorite streamers, or I'm here to play as much Fortnite as I can, or I'm here for the swag. Cause I like free stuff, but it's interesting to put all those people in one area and see kind of how it all shakes out. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, you'd be surprised. I, I, yeah. I feel like the stereotype is kind of like the first group of people, not to say they don't exist, but I think they're a relatively small they are the they're very community. small but i mean but those yeah. are the kind of people that you know like they stand out just because of how they are you know but yeah i get, get that people small. like me you know i'm here with my kids and my wife and you know and, and like there was some times like this kind of annoyed me at the destiny booth right um my kid and my wife played destiny they're both pretty good i mean but like i remember someone saying like well just let me take that kid's place he's not gonna play I was like, no, he's going to play. <laughs> and he actually did really well. Um, he, he did fine. But like it's it's those kind of folks, you know, that we deal with it, it, usually in an online setting that when you see them in the real world, you're like, oh, yeah, it, it's like you're reminded those people exist. And I got to. Yeah, like, you think it's like the online dis disinhibition effect, like people are kind of meaner online. But then you realize, no, some people are just jerks in the real world, too. Right. Yeah. And, and there's not a lot of, of that at PAX. PAX is a very friendly place. I mean, it really is. It's a good convention. But I just hope they figure out how to solve some of this, you know, two, three-hour lines to play Mario Party. I mean, it's. I feel like somebody needs to sit down less with the people who run PAX and more with the developers and say, this is what we expect you guys to bring in here. I mean, I, one game I really wanted to try was the, uh, the Resident Evil remake, right? Yeah. And, and like, they have like a line where you go into a theater and you watch a movie and it was like but every single time I went there the line was capped and it was like word kind of got out yeah it's probably not what you play is probably not worth waiting in line for you know um so i think that's one of those things that like i hope hopefully developers start to take into account is how do we get people moving through here and playing what we want them to see our game but in a way that makes sense and with enough demo stations and bringing enough juice to to get it through that people don't get frustrated with us instead of like our games um and uh, you know in that way i think pax is just like a lot of places and it's a victim of their success where you know e3 kind of goes through that do we let general public in or not a lot yeah. right um so does gamescom i think gamescom right now is press only right i have to check on that i don't, yeah, I don't know i know that. e3 opened up to general public uh earlier this it was this year right yeah, yeah. But they, the they, it's kind of gone back and forth, I think, a few times where, like, I think way back E3 used to be. But either way, I think a lot of these conventions struggle with how do you get the general public us in to play and do stuff uh, versus, um, you know, make it this press junket where you give them tightly controlled experiences to write exactly what you want them to write about. Right. I mean, games used to be revealed at PAX and you see that less and less, I think, because you don't get that directed experience as much 
Um, it's also hard to control the narrative these days coming out of conventions. Whereas if you just like put up a trailer beforehand or hold right. like a special pre- precedent for the game, then you like specifically control the narrative. Well, like for example, um, let, I'll just use this for example. There's a, uh, the new Total War Shogun. I, I can't remember if it's Shogun or not, but anyway, it's it's a feudal um, Japan type um, Total War game, right? So a real time strategy game, right? Your opinion of that game is going to be based a lot on how good or bad you are at that type of game. So I went there with my buddy who mostly just plays console shooters. Good guy, but that's his bag, right? So yeah. he played that for like 20 minutes. Was like, this game sucks. You know what I mean? And I was like, are you kidding? Look at all these unit types, and you can challenge the enemy general to a duel instead of a fight army. You know, like, like, to me, it was amazing. So that's kind of what I'm getting at, though. If you can't control that experience, you got one guy who, you know, tweets out or whatever. His friend, oh, man, don't waste your time with Total War. It sucks. You know, because he, that's just not his genre versus somebody else who's like, oh, man, wait till you see the depth of this new, you know. So you don't get that when it's just all press, right? Yeah. So, well, hopefully you don't. I don't know. There was that one guy who couldn't beat the tutorial cuphead. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. That, that was a whole a really annoying thing. That, that I don't was an think ordeal. People, yeah. <laughs> I don't think people really parse that the right way. Anyway, but that's that's a whole other other saga. So, um, do you? Th- I mean, as as a regular old gaming schlub, as a as a non, um, uh, uh, press profession, press yeah. like related, professionally Twitch streamery kind of gaming schlub, is is PAX something worth checking out? I'd say yes, but I would only do it in conjunction with like other stuff in the area. I wouldn't try to do what I did, which was three nonstop days of packs. It, it's, oh, wow. It'll get to you. I mean, there's no doubt that standing in line that long to do stuff, especially with small kids and stuff, wasn't a great idea. You know, but like there was enough in there. And luckily, my, I had my wife with me who, who does like games, but like she can give or take a lot of games. And I had I met a couple of my good friends up there from when I lived there. So, um you know, there's a lot of after party, after hour things. There's a lot of side things, a lot of things, you know, like Fortnite had a giant outdoor parking lot, more or less, that they built a giant tent over and they would just, they had a million dollar tournament. The winner got a million dollars. Um, Bethesda threw, basically rented out this hard rock um, and it was free food and drinks. I think it was two a two drink uh, coupon and free food. And you just basically got to hang out with Bethesda guys and talk to them about their games. Uh, like they like they would literally come right up to your table and be like, "Hey, man, what Bethesda games you play?" And talk to you about their games. It was it was amazing. Um, but like, there's a lot of that kind of stuff where if you do decide to go to PAX, like try to figure out the whole picture of it because if you spend three days on the show floor, you're gonna want to kill everybody there. Um, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that seems like a a good. A good, good advice. Our, our discussion yeah. I mean, of there's a lot to do. PAX. PAX is so much bigger than just the show floor. And that's the one thing I tell people is like, there's like free arcade games you can play. There's a console free play. You can bring your own computer and land game with people. Like there's a lot to it, but like, and there's the whole like tabletop aspect of it yep. too, right? Yeah. They have, so they have like a game, like a board game library where you can just check out a game. And a lot of times they have makers of that game there that'll sit down and teach you how to play their game. Um, that's a very popular now, that's thing. That's pretty there. cool. Yeah, I, I, so like, I like the idea in, of that. Yeah, you you can sit down and like they have tons and tons and tons of board games, like a whole annex full, and you sit down and you play with them, and you're like, hey, I want to I want to try a game that's like fantasy risk, but uh, 
you know, you have to go on quest and the cards, you know, it has a trading card game to, okay. Yeah. Here's, here's the game you want to play. It's made by these guys. They'll come over and they'll teach you the rules of it. And maybe sometimes even play with you and stuff. So there is a ton to packs. Um, so, I mean, what you hear me complain about is, is just the show floor, but all that stuff is, is almost always what you would want in like a, like a community gaming convention, right? People sitting down with each other, playing games, talking about stuff. Um, so, I mean, there, there's a lot to recommend about PAX. So I would say, yeah, it's something – if somebody said, should I go to a PAX, I'd say yes. Should you plan on going every single year and should you just, you know, be just on the show floor? No. you got to kind of look at it as like a – like if you go to Disneyland, right? Like if you spend all your time on the show floor, it'd be like, okay, I'm never leaving Tomorrowland. <laughs> you know, yeah. like that's the only part of the, of the show you're seeing. So um, I'd say just go kind of with the idea of there being a lot out there uh, past just that one area. Makes sense. That's really cool. Yeah. So that, that's an interesting look at, at gaming conventions. Um, so the other topic we wanted to discuss today, and we're going to switch gears entirely now, um, it's kind of been prompted by some recent events in the games industry uh, that by now have happened quite a long time ago. Um, so first, uh, a few weeks ago now, I think almost a month ago now, uh, <clears throat> Telltale shut its doors. Um, they were the makers of Walking Dead, Wolf Among Us, Minecraft Story Mode, etc. And they abruptly shut down, had no advance notice. All the projects were put on hold or cancelled, except for a skeleton crew finishing up Minecraft. And uh, they gave the rest of the Walking Dead to Skybound Games. And people were let go with no severance. And it started a, a conversation about... Uh, uh, about labor issues in the games industry that has continued with recent revelations about Rockstar, where um, the studio head, Dan Hauser, recently kind of got in trouble for bragging in an interview about the 100-hour work weeks that people were putting in. Um, he later clarified that he was only really talking about the writing team and for a three-week period. Whether or not you believe him, that's kind of besides the point. It did start off this um, this investigation, well, this investigation started off, you know, this conversation about um, about crunch culture and making people work overtime in uh, the video game industry. And moreover, at this at around the same time, Kotaku journalist Jason Schreier um, was preparing an investigative report into um, rumors of overtime and overwork at, at Rockstar Studios, and it turns out that there has, you know, been problems with this uh, at Rockstar during both the, the development of the recently released Red Dead Redemption 2 and um, some of their other video games. So let's, I guess, start with, um, with Telltale. How do you folks feel about the whole studio closure thing? Oof, um, you know, I never like to say good for them. I'm glad they lost their jobs. But... Um, I think I've seen this coming for a long time with Telltale, right? I mean, I, I definitely have been not into anything they've put out in a long time. And I kind of feel like they've been treading water and making some decisions, I think, that were really kind of iffy as far as the brand. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, I okay, I'm going to say something a little bit controversial here. Um, so around, around the time that the studio closed down, of course... We should, like, first and foremost, you should feel bad for the developers who lost their jobs. 
Um, a lot of commentators were suggesting that Telltale, like management, sort of did this to themselves. They were the people who, by like by mandating the kinds of games they developed, kind of engineered Telltale's downfall. And then there's this immediate swift backlash to that, saying, "No, this is a really bad take. It has nothing to do with with the kinds of games they were making. Um, this is just like purely." about how labor was managed. And honestly, I think the former group is, is kind of right. Like, again, it's not the developer's fault for making the games they were told to make. Right. But, like... But they're in a, they in made a unique... the same game, like, over and over and over again. Right. Started losing interest. And that, that, they... that was the... I think that was the problem with Latter-day um, Telltale, um, is is that they, they kind of... The, the, uh, for I guess lack of a better for word they uh, they got uh, typecast as the company that's going to make a cell shaded um, adventure sort of um, you know almost uh, I guess whimsical uh, uh, narrative adventure right like an, an, an adventure game in a time when adventure games just aren't popular enough to to really be profitable and, and they're also licensing to do that right so i mean yeah. you know no Guardians of the galaxy piece. don't come cheap right you mm. know um i don't know i mean I, I feel like we've talked a lot about telltale on here i mean i know we talked had a pretty good uh, episode about batman and and we've talked about their games and it's just i can't remember the, wolf among us was probably the last time i cared about a telltale game you know um, and yeah, that still had, I think some of the old, the old writing staff before they yeah. left. And I think, um, I think their engine got kind of old and tired. And I think what really killed them though, is the whole illusion of choice was exposed. Right. I mean, yeah. like I, I, I didn't care that Clementine would remember what I told her because it didn't matter. It changed my game 0% versus my friend who told, you know, her something else. Right. Um, so definitely, I, definitely, gonna... that was the same case with you know something like Tales from the Borderlands. It's the same game, very different uh, uh, style of, I, I suppose, art, very different genre, but still essentially the same game. Where so... you know Loaderbot, who is an incredibly engaging character in his own in his own right, would still ultimately. N- nothing about his fate. Uh, nothing about how he influences your your character's fate changes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and that's frustrating when when it's like because nobody's playing that for the gameplay, right? Right. <laughs> there <laughs> is no gameplay. Push the X or yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, I like I liked what Telltale did, and I, I think there's a cool spot for them, you know, in gaming history. And I don't I don't want them like purged from you know our records or whatever but i feel like that that's a good example of somebody who kind of sat on their laurels far too long and tried not to do anything new um and just kept putting out the same old thing until people were like no i'm done with this you know yeah Um, you know i mean if i if if i could tie it back to computering history they telltale reminds me a lot of uh commodore and atari uh between like the late 80s and the early 90s it was a company you know both companies had, you know, it, it, an incredible talent team um, and an incredible innovation, but uh, they 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 rest on the laurels. They relied too much on an install base that just disappeared out from underneath them. 
Yeah. In this case, I think, so there, there are two things that I'd like to address here. Um, first of all, so for me, just to sort of push back into slightly, I don't think they ran up so much against the limitations of the illusion of choice. Like we know that the decision tree in a video game can't be like super vast because they have to program all of this. I think what, what sort of started frustrating people was when you'd make a decision and then it would just like the the game would very apparently make it not matter to you. Like you'd make a decision and then the events of the game would just immediately invalidate it. Well, and that happened a lot, say, in like The Walking Dead Season 2. Right. Um, and the other thing, like to, to Glitch's point that, that I want to point out is I think they, they relied, I mean, you talk about like the install base. I think they relied a lot on people saying like, oh, I like The Walking Dead and I like this particular style of game. So I'm going to check out Batman or, or Game of Thrones or what have you. And it wasn't really so much that they they were they're relying both on on the license and also their sort of inbuilt fan base jumping to the other these other licenses and it just didn't happen. Hmm. Yeah, I, I but like even if you think about like so they made a Game of Thrones game. I mean, yeah. at a time Nobody when Game of Thrones was the hottest, <laughs> yeah. I, the the amount of stuff they uh, of license they had is 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 impressive. It's just you just kind of felt like it was back in the day of when licensed material was like, okay, here's the, here's the telltale version of it. And it really didn't do much. And you would play as like characters that not really, you know, yeah. Did you guys play the game of Thrones game at all? No, no I haven't. Yeah. I'm sorry. So I mean, it's basically like, okay, you know, like Tyrion will walk in and do half a scene or something, you know, but like you were basically just these nobodies from this nobody house doing this, you know, parallel journey type thing. Um, which I don't think is great for the brand, you yeah. know? Um, there might be a limitation of the license. Brand. Yeah, they, yeah. It, it's something, you know, it's it's a case where, you know, they, they're trying to tell a narrative, <laughs> but they can't be allowed to step on the narrative, um, you know, on, on AMC's narrative or an HBO's right. narrative. Yeah, and the stuff that they're allowed so. to do just kind of, it just kind of sits there. Like, here's a good example, though. Like, so Walking Dead season one, right? You remember there's that choice where you have to kind of you either save the woman who's like a journalist, maybe, or yeah. the guy who's like a computer programmer. Something like, like that, yeah, yeah. When that happened, when I was playing that episode, I was like, oh, man, maybe down the line there's going to be a scenario where I have to program a computer or I have to, you know have a charismatic person to go talk to people about, you know what I mean? Like, so I, I better take my time and really plan this one out. Cause who knows? And then the next episode, either one you chose got shot in the face, like for <laughs> no reason. It didn't make any kind of story sense or anything. It was just like, yeah, here you go. Shot in the face. Um, I, you know, it's like by comparison, like think, think of like, say the Caden versus Ashley decision in mass effect that just reverberates through the entire right. series. Um, and like that's that's a pretty simple choice. Like it's just save one person or save the other, but they actually make it matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and and here it just feels like yeah, you're making all these difficult Sophie's choices, but they never really amount to much. Like even like within within the experience of playing the game, like you don't even have to go outside and compare your decision tree to your friend's decision tree. Right. You can just look at what happens within the events of the game, and it feels like whatever you do, the game will just fuck you over regardless. So why <laughs> yeah. even bother? Um, and yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't I, know. I think, I think part of this is just like, they were working ridiculous schedules and they just don't have time to, 
to hammer out these really intricate narratives mm-hmm. with, you know, more complicated decision trees or, or account for, you know, um, more contingencies than planned or record all this extra dialogue because they're on such a tight schedule. And I think when you put games on such a tight schedule, they're just not going to be produced as well as you want them to be. Yeah, and that's that to me is on management. There's something. Yeah. There's something that I've seen brought up a couple of times with the recent Red Dead controversy and a bunch of other stuff. That's like, it's it's the first time I've kind of seen this kind of narrative, I guess, in game because we've known about crunch and everything forever, right? Yeah. But so, but I think it kind of gets down to: is it worth it? Like, is is all that effort, all that man hours, is it worth it to make a a tie into Guardians of the Galaxy that that you know, I don't know how many people like play. Like people played. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like I think you could make the argument for like maybe Red Dead being worth it. It looks like it's a genre-defining, you know, once in a lifetime type game where a lot of sacrifices were made, and you know, some people burned out. But anybody who worked on that can step back and say, "Yeah, I've made something that's like, well, once in a lifetime type game." Is anybody saying that about the Game of Thrones Telltale game? You know, or like really. so, like, and even to your point about like people kind of burning out in Red Dead. So there are a lot, a lot of developers who spoke anonymously said, like, the crunch was terrible, and I wish we didn't have to do it. And you know, no, I don't think it was worth it. But at the end of the day, not a single one of them said, "Don't buy our game in right. protest." Yeah, and you know, like they all said, we want you to experience the work we made. We just think management was shitty, and if we had to do it again, I, I wouldn't have done it. But, like, now it's out. What, and, and, and what I've been seeing more with, like, Red Dead now is more narrative. Like, well, was it worth it to have all this stuff for peop- for things in the game that are just seem like they're there to be an annoyance to the player? Like, I, like the specific example I heard was the bathing sequence. Like, you don't just push a button to get in a tub and your character, like, you have to wash your arm, wash your leg, wash your hair. You know, like, everything is its own thing, and it's like... Well, if one guy had to spend 500 hours making that, was that worth it? You know, like, like it's a good, it's a good like, point. I, I mean, the... for, for the amount of, uh, I mean, I, I've spent all of two hours playing Red Dead Redemption 2 so far. And um, I mean, there, there was a lot of, you know, circumstances where, um, you know, there, there, there were there were button prompts to say, you know, press Y to lash your horse and then press X or press you know, left trigger and then press X to, uh, pay respects. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Press, press whatever random button combination it takes to move this to the plots in you know, the plots forward. Um, in, in what is essentially a tutorial section of this video game. Uh, oh, it's like a David Cage game. Yeah. yeah. A, a lot of people have been saying that it adds to the immersion in some ways, but in the other way, it really it's like, doesn't though. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. It's like fuck it. Let me watch a cutscene so I can right. eat a sandwich while this is happening. Exactly. Like, I I don't mind cutscenes. That's my that's my eating time. You know. Yeah. Um, like <laughs> these these games. I don't know. Like it's, I'm not gonna be more immersed if I have to press X or, or triangle to advance a cutscene. It's just right. not how I, I engage with games. And like speaking of superfluous details, does anybody give a shit if? Horse testicles change in yeah. size with temperature. Uh, Do they? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, that's, that's in the game. Star. Like, like yeah. the horse testicles shrink in in cold weather but for like male that's horses. Something, 
that doesn't Good necessarily... for them. That was <laughs> worth the extra two months of development right there. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that, like, I, I just, I don't know if I'd be willing to say that's worth <laughs> some guy having to miss his kid's birthday party or something. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. I'm going to go ahead and say that it is worth some guy missing his kids still. <laughs> now you're now you're just going to be looking at the horse testicles the entire time. I will be doing nothing but I'm going to be eyeballing them horses uh junk swinging in the in the in the wind there and just admiring the physics engine uh, every time I go up to the top of a mountain. Uh, Literally no other video game even like has horse genitalia on their on the horse models. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I haven't. I haven't played it honestly, but I, I don't know. I mean, like there, there's never been a good answer or good feeling when it comes to, um, when it when it comes to how we should feel about crunch, right? Or how we should feel about like as a gamer. Because it's been going on forever, forever. I mean, yeah. I remember like early Command and Conquer stuff. You know, um, I I just don't know what's necessary, what's not necessary. I mean, I've been on projects for my own job where we have versions of crunch time you know and like because of what i do every time we have a hurricane you know i have to spend you know tons and tons of time calling people but that's part of my job you know um but i I don't know what these guys sign on for and what's what's an acceptable level and what isn't uh yeah it's hard when we're not really (coughs) excuse me in, in the industry ourselves um i think i think just sort of like as a general rule of thumb i can understand you know crunching for a couple of weeks to meet a deadline. I understand that sometimes it's hard to, to kind of plan around that. It's when you hear stories of people spending five, six months in crunch that you're wondering, okay, is this project even being managed properly? Yeah. Are, 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 is, are people treating their, are managers treating their employees in a way that makes sense? Yeah. I um, don't think you can keep up crunch for, for six months and still be an effective Right. employee whose personal life doesn't get ruined in the process yeah right. that, yeah it's a it, that's a good point i mean it's it's a fine line between you know crunch um being something that you're working towards and then crunch being something that just fucking ruins your life yeah uh, and and i i hate to be super evil capitalist about it but i think kind of the results do matter do you know what i mean like if you're if you're crunching to put out so many of those games that nobody ever you know, plays versus if you're crunching to put together, you know, a genre defining game, like I was saying before, I, I, I'm sure it feels different in the studio and it feels different for the people work on it. And you can probably look back with a little bit more pride if you were on the, you know, on the team that made Fortnite versus the team that made, you know, Daikatana. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, even, uh, I mean, even in those cases, yeah. you're not going to know which team you're on. Yeah, until, more yeah. or less until until that thing ships. Until I, I no. think they've got an I idea. Think, I, think <laughs> yeah. I sort of get that. Like even maybe I'm being naive, of, but I mean, I would kind of hope you know not honestly. Sometimes would, you do, sometimes you don't. I think I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I get the sense that that you know, there's sometimes when when devs are sort of blindsided by the reaction to a game. I think that was very much the case with Battleborn. They did not expect it to be the fact <laughs> that it was. Yeah. Or, yeah. or say like uh, Lawbreakers. I don't think anybody thought that would end up being the flop that it was. But like I think I got the sense based on the investigation that that like Jason Trier did for Kotaku that all these people understood the quality of the game they were working on. And for me personally, kind of coming at this from a more 
um, from more sort of like, let's say, pro-labor perspective, not to say you guys are being like anti-labor or anything. Um, I, like, I, I don't see that, that these, um, that the quality of the game is, is like super relevant to whether or not it was worth it in the end. But I do, I don't want to invalidate the pride that, that developers feel, even if they're, they're crunching on something that they know will turn out to be good. I got the sense also from like the telltale investigations that a lot of the burnout, like, if you know you're working on something really generic or that's just being sort of churned out, it, it does affect morale more adversely. It and does, that's why you definitely. get this, this churn at, at Telltale that you keep hearing about, whereas you didn't get the same amount of churn at Rockstar. You just right. had, like, lifers being forced to crunch. Yeah, I mean, from... I mean, I'm, I'm not a game developer in any respect, but I've done um, product development... Uh, as a salaried employee kind of guy and uh yeah i mean th- th- there's there's a certain pride of achievement um that you experience when you know what you're working on finally comes to fruition uh and and it works uh i've i've, I've never had to deal with um um you know shipping numbers or popularity or that kind of stuff but just delivering a product that works in the way that you wanted it to or even better than the way you wanted it to is 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 is, is i mean I, I guess it's an ego stroke if nothing else <laughs> um, yeah it's I like i think what, what i come back to is i acknowledge that if you work on something that you know is good versus working on something that you know is bad you're obviously going to feel better about the former um it's just i don't think that like the ego stroke you get is enough of a of a justification for for management to treat no um, absolutely their employees not employees as, as like disposable labor yeah no um, definitely I... so that that's that's sort of where I'm falling on this like I acknowledge the rockstar situation is different from Telltale I mean for one thing Telltale is just poorly financially managed in a way mm-hmm. Rockstar isn't um, like the reason Telltale fell apart so quickly is because they thought they could secure financing for more projects and then the people pulled out at the last minute and they just had to shut down. They didn't communicate this to their employees. That's why they got blindsided. Uh, whereas I don't think Rockstar is in danger of financial insolvency anytime soon. I doubt it. Not, yeah, not I if mean, my 60 bucks has anything to say with, uh, you no, know, <laughs> I wonder GTA if online just prints money. Yeah. Sorry, uh, go ahead. I wonder what percentage or portion or whatever episodic content plays into this. Um, I know a lot of people who, just basically never played Telltale games or, or those games because the, the episodic part of it turned them off completely. Um, and I'm wondering, did Telltale never did really... All their games were episodic, right? They never really did like a full, like, hey, just here's here's a release, right? Uh, poker, the, their old Poker Night games were single, like standalone. Mm-hmm. But um, those, those were in the pre-Walking Dead era. Yeah. And even before Walking... And Jurassic Park was also a full game not episodic um but they were doing episodic games before the walking dead like they did sam and max they did uh tales of monkey island which i think is super underrated um and then they sort of jumped into once the walking dead became popular that was just the format for all their games going okay forward. yeah i mean yeah. it's it's one of those things where like i just wonder like because you know that that was a business model that i don't think had been super tested out before them right <laughs> and then they seem to kind of stick to it even through financial 
issues. I wonder why that never became something like, hey, let's stop doing this and just start releasing full games. Um, because I think the episodic model ended up working pretty well for some other games. Like, Life is Strange did amazingly well for Square Enix, based on what I've heard. And, you know, that was the same sort of format as, yeah. as uh, Telltale Games. Um, I think Life is Strange sort of did the formula a little better, if I'm being honest. Um, but, you know, episodic games have worked financially. It's, I think, the fact that all of Telltale's episodic games were the same and they were dealing with some licenses that might not have been as popular for that format that kind of did them in. Um, I'm not sure it was, like, the episodic format in particular, but mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's hard to tell because, like, I'm not the inside yeah, it's it's one of those weird things. I just don't know. I don't know what the solution eventually would have been um, for for Telltale, other than they probably were so upside down with all the licenses and stuff. I mean, it doesn't sound like anybody was willing to take a chance. Um, On I, like a their own IP, which they've never done. Yeah. To be fair. Aside yeah. from Poker Night, but that even was taking licensed characters yeah, from other was, franchises um, mm-hmm. with some original characters and just throwing them it, all into the But I, but like it doesn't sound like there was an like an IP rights sell-off that anybody wanted to jump on them and pick them up even. Do you know what I mean? So it kind of just... I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I think that's all probably still being sorted out because they're technically still operational while they're winding down Minecraft. So they still have like a skeleton crew of people working there. Um, maybe once they officially shut down in a few months, then we'll start seeing a fire sale. But yeah, I, I don't know if anybody's going to jump on those licenses. I'm guessing... The Wolf Among Us season two is never going to happen. You know, there's not going to be another season of Batman. Because usually, I mean, you get like what happened with, um, who's the Darksiders guys? THQ? Um, THQ, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, it seemed like as soon as they announced, like, people started going crazy with who's going to buy what, you know? I haven't heard almost any of that. Yeah, I think it's more, I mean, it might just be that. The license because they're licensed that Telltale themselves doesn't own, mm-hmm. um, that you have to kind of renegotiate the rights through through the original rights holder. I don't really know anything about law. Um, I'm guessing it might be something like that, and you know they haven't officially shut down yet. There's there's a bunch of factors there, but yeah, I don't think anybody's going to be scooping up a, a Wolf Among Us yeah. video game license anytime soon. Um, as much as I like that world, yeah, it, it's it kind of run sell. its course. Yeah. So, I don't know. Telltale is, is you know, not a, a, a tale of a studio that was just not super well managed. And It's probably a, you know, a, a tale of a studio that uh, kind of flared out. I mean, it, it, it was a product of its time, and the time just didn't move with it, I suppose. Telltale is maybe something that uh, really would have just shown 20 years ago, you know, Telltale could have been the next LucasArts games. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. I, I, there I was think... that feeling, uh, like, right around Walking Dead, it felt like it. It felt like they were going to be a whole new, like, I don't know, like, almost like a thing specific to themselves. And then it's just, man. I I was hoping that they would, like, I, I'm cool with them making episodic adventure games with licenses from here to infinity. Um what I think they they really messed up was that they made they used the same basic format going forward. Mm-hmm. So 
they took yeah. out you know all the puzzles they made this whole you'll remember this choice and consequences thing and they just didn't need to do that for every game right like i would have been fine with say um a tales from the borderlands that that threw in some more action elements or a wolf among us that threw in more investigative and puzzle elements you know rather than tough moral choices i didn't need that in every episodic adventure game there's a lot to do within the episodic adventure game space that you know um life is strange kentucky route zero the council etc have been showing how to do they've all been tweaking the formula in ways that telltale could have been doing themselves the council feels so revolutionary and it's so close to a telltale game you know what i mean it's just like they took every lesson that telltale should have learned and put it in a game and whenever I, I i mean i haven't played it but i've watched a ton of gameplay of it like I, i've watched like a lot of let's play through the first couple of episodes and it feels revolutionary in a way that it really shouldn't because it's basically just iterating on what telltale did you know yeah and telltale that's my point telltale could have done that themselves if they were not so up their own asses in <laughs> just trying to replicate the walking dead formula over and over and over again yeah and even when it didn't even make sense like the game of thrones whole you know yeah game of thrones has a lot of tense decisions and stuff like that you know for for specific people to make but it doesn't make sense to shoehorn that style of play into a game when you know game of thrones why the fuck is that in minecraft story mode right (laughs) i was wondering that too what moral choices you need to make about boxes Yeah. yeah That was, I mean, you, you could make an argument for Game of Thrones being a, you know, a, a, a or B choice, adventure gamey, who's it's whatever, but Minecraft? No. Yeah. Like fucking Tales of the Borderlands. What fucking moral choices should, should there be? Just like, let me loose with some, some like fucking guns and let me quip yeah. and, and shit, you know? I guess my thing well, more about Game of Thrones was like, you knew that it wasn't going to have a bearing on anything. Do you know what I mean? Like, because the story's still, you're still set in the Game of Thrones world. So whether you go for the Starks or the Targaryens or whoever, it doesn't matter. It, you're playing in a format that the story's already set. And it's it's not like Walking Dead where it's like characters that don't exist within the story. It's like, no, here here I am with the Lannisters, you know? It, it, so it's really weird to me that that, that was a, a thing that they went for. Um, but yeah, it's, they made a lot of weird decisions just as a company in, in the way they took some of their games um, I, I, I mean, I don't want to say I don't feel bad, but I mean, I saw it coming. It, there's no yeah. way I couldn't, you know, I don't know. I, I, I was, I had been after, I was blindsided and it's because I mistakenly believed that because of their licenses, they were selling better than mm. I thought they were. And it turns out it was just Minecraft and the walking dead that did well. Like even Batman flopped. How do you yeah. flop a Batman? Well, game? have you, oh, it's been done. <laughs> I I can tell you oh, exactly why. Have you have you heard anything? I think you know Flax and a couple other people talked about Batman here. Yeah, um, you had to, you had to be either like into a series doing that, like recreating the Joker dynamic where him and Batman were friends, you know, or you know, or you're going to be a hardcore purist, but like, no, I'm I'm not letting you do this with Batman. Um, or you could just make a terrible Batman game. I'm, I'm I'm thinking about the old PS2 Batman games. Oh yeah, were some awful, awful Batman games. This one had that era. This one was really weird. I, I remember them talking about it on the podcast, and it was mostly like Batman and Joker kind of hang out, and like Batman's trying to convince Joker not to go down the you know the road of crime, but re- the real villain is Harley Quinn, who's and I mean like a lot of people aren't willing That's to go. So- 
very bizarre read like take on their relationship mm-hmm. like the the whole idea is that like joker breaks harley quinn it's kind of it's weird abusive dynamic right? and flipping it doesn't really feel subversive it just no. feels really creepy and weird yeah they have kind of like <laughs> batman as bruce wayne going undercover with like harley quinn it, there's a lot into it i mean it's just I don't know. You'd have to check it out and, and try to figure it out yourself. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's one of those things where I think um, you can't really you, you can't really mess with those types of formulas that much, or you're going to get the the kind of people who should be interested in your game really uninterested really quick. You know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I don't mind them taking risks. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But like, there's so many other ways they could take risks. They could just like make up a new villain like there's nothing stopping them from doing that presumably unless like dc's super jealous with the license and is just like no you can only use established characters but like you can tell different types of stories with those characters without changing what makes those characters those characters it seems like they don't really like once yeah like rodkin and venom had left some of the best dc fiction has been the um um uh, the, what, what is the name of the fighting games that, that they've been releasing? Injustice? Uh, Injustice. Yes, the Injustice games. Injustice and Injustice 2 has been some of the best fiction in the DC universe, at least it's hard, in, you know, in terms of um, <coughs> non, uh, I guess, comic book uh, format. It's a, it's pretty darn entertaining. Oh, yeah. yeah and it's like... By the way, it's on sale on Humboldt right now if you don't have it. Yeah, buy the games. They're great. <laughs> Oh, nice. So, like, what what's unique about them as as compared to uh, how other DC games have approached their subject matter? Well, I'm not a really a, a DC video game of fiction auto, but um, it just seems like the motivation for everybody versus Superman, um, particularly in the first Injustice game, uh, just it, it, it's more natural. It makes more sense. Uh, it's more entertaining to play through. I don't want to spoil it. Uh, okay. Um, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> it, it, yeah. it. It probably takes maybe all of two hours to play through the story mode of Injustice, the original Injustice game. Um, but yeah, it's so fun. <laughs> Excuse me. And I, I think they do actually a, a, a pretty darn entertaining job. More, you know, probably much more than the um, you know last couple of movies. At least the ones that I've seen. Yeah, I, I've kind of avoided, since they have avoided, I haven't like checked out the DC cinematic universe at all, um, mainly because I, I just don't, I, I either haven't had the time or, or really the interest. So I see a bunch of like Suicide Squad memes, I'm like, I don't know what this shit means. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, but... you know, I'm just labor in general with games. I kind of feel like we're, we can probably look at like where the movie studios and everything kind of went through there are different processes, you know, like back in the day, I kind of feel like we're heading towards like, it's like that 19, like Hollywood, like, you know, when Hollywood was like in it's like 1920s gilded age, you know, like everything was movies were making a ton of money and there's a lot of money in it and people were trying to get into it and get out of it and figure out how to get the most money out of it. Kind of feel like that's where we are with gaming right now. Do you know what I mean? The, the yeah. bigger studios know how to make the money, know how to get the money. They know where they're losing the money. And that's why you're seeing stuff like, EA is like, yeah, we're not we're not going to lose thirty percent per sale to Steam, you know, and I, I think you're starting to see like studios like how it used to be, you know, in the in the in the sense of 
we make the game, we publish the game, we get it out the door, we make the money, we put it right back into the next game. And I, th- I think you, you got to be either part of that or, or on the outside and looking to make your way into it. Um, I know people hate it when EA or when Activision or whoever buys your favorite studio, but I mean, right now it keeps them from being another studio lost in the churn of, of, you know, not being able to make enough hits as quickly as they can, you know? Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's a strange time, like to see this, this kind of consolidation and you're kind of seeing, um, like this polarization where the big studios are being bought up by publishers they're they're kind of building everything in house, and you have these really small indie studios, which would be like an experimental film movement, kind of on the outside. Um, and it's it's interesting. Also, you make the comparison to the film industry because what happened to the film industry after the Gilded Age? They they unionized, right? And, I... and there's this uh, there's a sense that or at least you know it's been a, it's been a conversation for the past decade at least that game developers have to unionize. You already saw that with. Uh, the voice actor strike mm-hmm. that happened, I guess, last year now. Um, that that was about you know the 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 screen the screen actors guild union right um, striking against companies that were exploiting um, voice actors and like making them rub their vocal cords raw wow. and you know, not telling them about um, about say sexual content that might be in scenes. So they arrived they'd arrive at the recording booth and say. Oh yeah, here moan sexually for us, and that's like, you know, you, you kind of want to prepare for that before you go into the booth, and you know there there are problems with royalties and things like that, um, and they're able to eventually resolve the strike. I mean, they scabbed for a while, but you know the strike was eventually resolved because uh, voice actors are unionized in a mm-hmm. way that regular developers aren't. Um, but you know the game developer association doesn't seem like they they really want to lead the charge on this. So yeah, I don't know it, when or if it's going to happen. Unionizing, I think, is going to be hard for for gaming because it, it's like it's like how Hollywood unionized. Like you've got all these different unions, right? Like you've got SAG, you've got the directors union, you've got the producer. The you know what I mean? Guild. Yeah. Producers guild. Yeah. So I feel like that's the only way that gaming could do it as well because it'd be hard for you to tell a programmer that they have to strike because of a voice actor. Do you know what I mean? Because it's not the same yeah. in terms of, you know, well, he does two hours of work, you know, for 500 different companies where I only work just for this one company. So you'd probably have to see something similar and that's a lot of work, man. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not pessimistic. I think it's a good idea. It's just, I'm pessimistic on the, on the amount of organization it would take before yay or whoever would be like, fine, we're just going to, you know, Sweden or Montreal or, you know, I mean, like it's such a global industry right now, right. you know, what it's, it's easier just to pack up your studio and leave. Yeah. You know, then. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's a good yeah, point. That's... I mean, I, I don't mean to sound pessimistic, but I've, I've, I have personally, I mean, I'm, I'm not a game developer, but I am an IT geek. And, uh, personally I have been through more than one, um, outsourcing where, mm-hmm. um, essentially, you know, the company that I work for pulls up stakes and ships the entire labor force overseas. So, yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, I think that's part of it, right? Like, you know, if you can say, well, we can get the, the pro, we can lock out the programmers guild or whatever, and just get this all done in India. 
uh, or you know Russia or wherever else we want to do it, and then okay, we're just going to freeze that whole union out. You can't really do that with movies. Do you know what I mean? You need all the parts of it to kind of come together. But right, yeah, like that's all done on site. <laughs> right, right, right. You can't direct from. You can't direct a movie from Indonesia or whatever. Right. Yeah, exactly. They've yeah. probably tried. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know enough yeah. either about unions or about game development. I know which parts would or wouldn't make sense. But I think more than that, I, you know, I, I know people aren't going to want to hear this, but I think it, you got to start being a smarter consumer, you know. And I mean, I'm not saying, you know, do or don't buy games, but say, you know, OK, well, maybe I get this game, you know, used from GameStop and, you know, that my money doesn't go to support this or whatever, you know, but I mean, you got to kind of make your voice heard in a way that makes you feel comfortable. But, and if nothing else, like this is going to sound really stupid and shitty, but like tweet at companies and let them know you're not cool with, with their labor practices. And I know that probably doesn't affect much in the grand scheme of things, but I think it makes an impact. There's nothing shitty about that. There's nothing shitty about expert, you know, well, supposedly, um, you guys remember EA Spouse? Yeah, I mean, oh. supposedly <laughs> that had that had an impact. Um, you know, at least how EA handled crunch times for a while after. I mean, I don't know if it's back now, but you know, uh, I remember when that came out, people were like, "Whoa!" Like that was I. I don't know if it was the first, but it was definitely one of the times. You know, people really were eyes were opened to to how it was. Um, yeah. And by and large, I mean, you always get some shitty consumers will be like, oh, if you want to work in the industry, that's the price you have to pay. Mm-hmm. Right. But that, like most consumers generally are like, oh, wow, I had no idea. This is really shitty. This should be reformed. Like people in general, if you explain what a crisis or a problem is, they'll generally be sympathetic. And by and large, the reaction to finding out about you know the culture of crunch at Rockstar uh, by and large, that reaction has been, hey, wait, something actually does need to change. Yeah, yeah. Like, consumers have not been, like, and, and getting fuck back the devs, that, you know? That's what I liked about Kotaku's article or, or review is it was like, yeah, all this stuff shows in the game, but was it worth it? And I think that's a really good question to ask. Was the shrinking testicles worth it, <laughs> you know? I'd say yes. <laughs> so I, I think I think that's that's going to be something kind of we keep doing. I mean, I think you can make a great game without that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. in all seriousness, I, I am, I am 100% in favor of a game taking longer, uh, in the, in the, uh, development cycle. Um, if, if I have to sit and wait another two three, four months, whatever it takes, uh, for a game, um, to be complete to, to, you know, for, for a complete video game to ship, as opposed to you know a, 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 a buggy mess delivered by people who haven't slept in two weeks, I will yeah. happily take the uh, you know the I, I, I will I will sit and wait for the game. I, I have no problem with that. The other thing I'll say is, and maybe this isn't <laughs> this isn't always a solution, but like especially for a studio like Rockstar, if individuals are saddled with so much work that they're staying overtime just like hire more people you know you guys are swimming in cash you can hire more developers to get to spread the load a little bit well in the the case of a dev studio like rockstar they they have the ability to sit on the game until it's done yeah they're they're 
release um, schedule is so Spartan. It's so, you know, I mean, uh, everybody expects the next Grand Theft Auto coming out of this studio or the next Red Dead Redemption or whatever to come to come out of this studio that we're willing. <laughs> wait, we don't yeah. need this shit coming out, um, you know, pre holiday season, Christmassy, whatever the fuck. Um, uh, yeah, and they've, they've shown a willingness to like just straight up cancel projects before like there was the excuse the name because it's the actual name of the project the unfortunately named horror of the orient that they had to, <laughs> that they ended up canceling i miss it on um, that yeah i think they're probably going to change the name before they released it good idea um, guys. <laughs> yeah and like agent is probably dead and that's been rumored for like a decade now practically so I mean, Rockstar's willing to, to cancel huge projects. And, and there was a pretty interesting article that almost all the royalties are going directly to um, – who are the, the owners? Uh, the Housers? Housers, yeah. Almost yeah. all the royalties go directly to them because of how Rockstar is set up. So there's not like a way that the money goes back to the average person. You know what I mean? So – yeah, the game might might sell like gangbusters, but it's just the people up top getting all of it. It doesn't really matter, you know. So, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like with Rockstar, it's kind of its own world compared to everybody else. Because yeah, you're right; they can totally just sit there and sit on a game, and and you know the studio is going to suffer none because by the time they say, okay, you know what, we're going to actually make Bully Two, it's going to sell a trillion copies. I, I kind of feel like Blizzard is in that same space too, right? Like, yeah, whatever Blizzard t- puts out when they want to put something out, it's going to sell a trillion, but not all studios are like that. A lot of them have to have that, that cycle, that churn of, you know, here's the next new thing. Um, they can't afford to just sit there and be stagnant. Um, so, I mean, it'd be interesting to see kind of the next couple of years, but rockstar is going to release red dead for PC, right? I mean, or, or something like that. They're, Probably they're another five or 10 years from now, yeah, maybe yeah. if we're lucky, but I, I, mean, I feel like given, it, given their uh, current track record, <laughs> But they they might they might never have to make an you know another Red Dead game for another ten years. But the, it that's they're the the rare exception. Um, so yeah, like every other studio, like say Visceral, shut down because they couldn't get a project going. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and, and it's crazy how many studios are just one one bomb, one failure away from. I mean, I mean, we talked about it here, dude. I I think Bioware is going to be owned by EA after Anthem. They already um, are, aren't they? Well, I mean, like, completely. Suck down, so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, um, it'll be interesting I, to see, though. My guess is, like, there's no good outcome after Anthem. Either either they become the Anthem and Dragon Age studio, and they never work on another project other than those two. Mm-hmm. Or Anthem is a bomb, and it kills them. Yeah. yeah. Those are the only two options. Well, Like, Dragon judging... Age 4 is going to happen. But like yeah. beyond that, maybe they put up Dragon Age Four, and it's just Anthem forever after that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm guessing, based on what I'm hearing, I it could go either way. Like it's fifty-fifty at this stage, and like it's never a good sign when most of the companies in an industry are just one bomb away from failure. Yeah, like. It's not like like it's not like all these studios are, are say Nintendo, where if they have if they like have an entire console that bombs like the Wii U, they're sitting on such huge cash reserves that doesn't really matter. Um, most 
studios aren't aren't like that. They have a bomb and it kills them. Yeah, there's they yeah they just get bought or they go away or the rights revert or yeah I mean it's I don't know the the labor part of, of the game industry is something that like I wish I knew more of so I could be like a more informed consumer. But sometimes it just seems like it's kept vague on purpose so that the companies who make all the money get to keep making all the money in a way you know like when you find out like all these like side studios that do huge product projects like that more or less finish out the game or like you know this whole studio did this one part of the game uh you know they did the multiplayer they did this or that like it's hard to tell you know what i'm good with and what i'm not good with because who knows what 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 the studios were going for you know, it's, I don't know. It, it, it's not as easy for me to figure it out. Yeah, it's really hard for me to, like, it's, it's even hard to sort of attribute credit mm -hmm. to, to um, like, to, to various studios when, like, 10 different studios have their hands on a, on a huge game because of contract work. Right. Um, and that's, that's actually another issue I sort of want to bring up, the issue of credit. One thing that, that sort of really, that struck me about, um, the Rockstar investigation, it came out that people who left the project midway didn't get their name in the credits, which is bad from the perspective of your CV because then you don't get to put that game on your CV. Yeah. And to me, that's like cruel almost. Like they put in the work and sure, they had to leave the project for whatever reason, but they still put in the work. You know? I, I would probably i mean if if i was a kind of that kind of event you know developer i would still put that on my resume you know hey this that is the aspect really of petty. The, it it's petty but it's something that personally i think it could be remediated pretty easily yeah but then like you, they call they call it performer employer they'll be like yeah they worked for us and it, like anyway it's it's a i mean I, I i'm not sure exactly how, how it works for for CVs, but like well, the credits, a, a big portion of, you know, a professional job interview is demonstrating what you know. Yeah. Um, it, it, I mean, a resume gets you into an interview, but uh, when you're in the interview, stand, you know, when, the uh, interview situation, what you know is more critical than, you know, how how much your resume hypes you up to to be uh so if you can demonstrate that, hey, you know, I worked on Rockstar's, uh, you know, physics engine, and I can make bullet casings bounce around in a fashion, <laughs> or whatever it takes, and you know, and, you know, and, and here's the code that demonstrates that I can do that shit. That that is a lot more critical than just you know getting your name on a yeah. on a on a on a on a credit scroll at the end of a video game. I mean, okay, that's yeah. that's good to know that at least there is that recourse, that is. and it's not like it's not like fatal if they get cut. cut yeah, I mean, again, from I think an it IT is standpoint. Tight. I've never, awesome. I'm, I, I, I haven't written a video game since Basic, but <laughs> I am an IT nobody likes through. Basic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I guess at the at the end of the day, I, I kind of get. Um, a little frustrated with with sort of, with sort of like the mealy mouthed, oh, um, you know the, these guys didn't didn't put in the work uh, to see the project to the end, so we're going to cut their their credits. Yeah, or, I, I, I agree with 
yeah, I mean, the, the complaint that they didn't do the work, you know, therefore they don't deserve the credit. That's bullshit. I, I 100% yeah. that. The other, the other sort of mealy mouth thing that's come out of this is, oh no, that like, it's not that much overtime there. Like the average is, is, you know, 45 hours a week. Um, it's a little bit of overtime. Most, most people weren't hitting that, but then like salaried employees aren't like logging their hours generally. So how are you really saying that, you know? Um, so I feel, I feel like I always get the sense that Rockstar sort of wants to change, but is so far removed from their employees' actual, like the management is so far removed from their employees' actual health and well-being, and they don't know how, and they don't get the scope of the problem. Yeah, I, th- I think they got it now, though. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's kind of out there. Yeah, I would imagine. I don't. I don't mean to sound pessimistic, but again, as a person who's worked in a, in a bunch of seller positions where a lot of overtime is just sort of expected. I doubt they give that big a shit. Yeah. Um, and, and like it, the other thing about overtime, like it does, it does take a toll. Like having been through, through crunch before, like you, you start to neglect things like, Oh, eating right. Or like doing yeah. your laundry properly. Just general life stuff. gets Sleeping really is a yeah, big sleep goes out the window. <laughs> You don't clean your apartment like this shit matters. It, it, it takes a toll on on you, and it sucks that like you can deal with it for a couple of weeks at a time, but forcing people to to live through it for for four, five, six months is just not something I think should be tolerated within the industry. Um, and hopefully, Rockstar gets the message and fixes their shit. Yeah, I mean, I would like to hear. I don't know if we have any game devs. That listen, but I would like to hear what they think about it all. Because to me, it's just like as an outsider, it's I don't know. It feels well, weird. They can always reach out to us at our website where there's a feedback form. Hmm. Um, that's right. The Avocado Gamescast has a website, avocadogamescast.wordpress.com, where you can find all our episodes and download them and read link dumps that fact check each episode and <laughs> link to stuff that tell us we how long we are talk about yeah <laughs> tell us how you can tell us how yeah you can tell us how stupid we were everything how, how we shit said for wrong. the last hour and a half is bullshit <laughs> bull fucking shit guys bull fucking shit i mean it's a it's a halloween episode we can just make whatever shit we want right yeah um <laughs> I feel like I didn't nail that transition into the conclusion. I feel like I feel like it was too casual. I think it did fine. Um, I've got to okay. take up the Halloween music we used last time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it makes it work better. Yeah. What are you doing, man? The monsters. Oh, okay. We're going to get content ID'd. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, we're not. Don't worry. Um, we're we going to get sued by Randy Pitchford yeah. before we get content ID'd. Um, don't please don't sue us, Randy Pitchford. We secretly love you. I think you. we say that every other episode. We love you, Randy Pitchford. <laughs> yeah. Um, please hire us. You're not Pitchford. a liar. <laughs> yeah. We need the work. Um, <sighs> so anyway, um, do you guys have any anything else you want to mention before we close huh? this podcast to a close? I think we got it. Uh, All right. For those of us who 
pissed money away for that that Best Buy, uh, like games budgety who's it's uh, that is coming to a very swift end. The reason I have Red Dead Redemption right now is because it was twenty percent off with their little games, uh, um, Best Buy rewards type thingy. They are killing that dead at the end of the year, so buy your games now. So uh, there you go. all right, everybody head to Best Buy and just buy their entire stock. Buy your games. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you got the thing. If you got the thing, if you don't have the thing, screw Best Buy. <laughs> if you do have the thing, buy your games from Best Buy. Yeah, and then like flip them for a profit and flip them <laughs> for a profit. Cool. Yeah, it's and cool sell them in the black market. Like, is there a video game black market? Yeah, um, GameStop. <laughs> that that is, I I don't think we can top that burn. <laughs> so, I'm gonna call this this episode to a close. And I mentioned we did have a website. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes or Google Play Music. Just search for Avocado Gamescast, and make sure you check out the community that spawned this podcast at the hyphen avocado dot org. Don't literally type out the word hyphen. Why would you even <laughs> do that or think that's the thing that you should do? <laughs> All right, uh, I think that that just about covers it. Spooky Halloween noises for the Ooh. outro. Bye, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.